Do we see at Groundswell this year, the 26th and 27th of June, close to London, UK? Many friends of the podcast will be there. John Kempf, Abby Rose, Benedict Berzo, Henry Dimbleby, Claire Hill, Russ Carrington, Andy Cato, Tim Coates, and many, many more. See you there. Big funds are being raised, but they all quote-unquote complain about the missing deal flow. So we need more project developers. In some sectors, this is a dirty word, but here we need people who are disciplined, who put together the business plan, organize the permits, figure out the seeds or tree genetics, figure out the irrigation equipment, organize the offtake agreements, and wow, it always gets delayed. Don't take any salary or a very low one for a couple of years. All of this to create bankable, investable projects. So the investors who are usually far away and have never seen an almond orchard or a permanent pasture wheat system get comfortable and convince their investment committees and their bank colleagues to give the green light. So farm after farm, hectare after hectare can start with the implementation of regenerative practices. It might not be sexy, but it's absolutely crucial. So enjoy this interview with one of those project developers in France. This is the Investing in Regenerative Agriculture and Food podcast, Investing as if the Planet Mattered, where we talk to the pioneers in the regenerative food and agriculture space to learn more on how to put our money to work to regenerate soil, people, local communities, and ecosystems while making an appropriate and fair return. Why my focus on soil and regeneration? Because so many of the pressing issues we face today have their roots in how we treat our land and our sea, grow our food, what we eat, wear and consume. And it's time that we as investors, big and small, and consumers, start paying much more attention to the dirt slash soil underneath our feet. To make it easy for fans to support our work, we launched our membership community. And so many of you have joined us as a member. Thank you. If our work created value for you, and if you have the means, and only if you have the means, consider joining us. Find out more on gumroad.com slash investing in Regen That is gumroad.com slash investing in Regen Or find the link below. Welcome to another episode today with Boris Patsky, the founder or one of the co-founders of Greenpots with a long history in let's say, regenerative agriculture, sustainable agriculture finance. I'm very happy to have him on the show. We've known each other for a while, and it's uh, it's finally time to have Boris on the, so- on the show. So welcome. Hi, thank you very much for having me, Ken. And to start with a personal question, what brought you to this space of, um, I mean, from all the different career paths you could have taken in, in, a, in a comfortable office somewhere with a lot of airco, and uh, air conditioning and to be very comfortable instead of out in the field, planting trees, financing trees and, and trying to get this done. What led you to this sector? Uh, I was basically um, given the opportunity to work into agriculture by a friend who was working for a commodity merchant. And, and he, he, he told me about uh, a cocoa guy he had met when he was doing his internship on a, on a mill, on a flour mill in Cameroon. And I applied to... Ecom, this was back in 2007, um, to a large commodity merchant, and I applied to join their Central Asia desk. I'd been studying Central Asian and Caucasian studies uh, at St. Petersburg State University, and decided that I maybe could join work and uh, personal interests. So basically, I already have 15 years of uh, experience in uh, agriculture, we could call it agribusiness. Uh, it's a mix between value chain finance and public private partnerships. And I worked on three different continents. So I, I started as a merchant, um, originating cotton in Uzbekistan, uh, shipping 50,000 tons uh, of cotton a year through the port of Bandarabas, uh, in, in Iran, shipping it mostly to textile mills in Bangladesh. And given the difficult context back in the days, political context in Uzbekistan, I quickly moved to Tajikistan, where we were invited at the initiative of the Better Cotton Initiative, which was maybe a kind of burgeoning uh, concept of region ag um, to replicate the, the coffee model of a group that prides itself in having more agronomists and the, the merchants on the payroll. So basically provide technical assistance to farmers, increase their, increase their yields, increase their revenues and, pref- and become their preferred offtaker. This is where I so I, I didn't come from a uh, from soil. I, I I came more from we the all economic do, right, and, and we all go back. Yeah, but. <laughs> yeah, and I, I came more from the social um, aspect because back in the days, Tajikistan, the farmers were very much in debt after the fall of the Soviet Union. 
uh, a civil war uh, that followed, and they they were I think their debt aggregated debt was four hundred million U.S. dollars to cotton genus to intermediaries, and basically they these guys were prefinancing the the farmers in kind with poor fertilizer, uh, diesel that was cut with water, seeds were given late, and of course with a thirty percent or even more predatory interest rates. So the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development came in, refinanced the farmers at decent interest rates through the banks, and they asked that someone actually buys the cotton at the farm gate to make sure that the credit cycle was being closed. So that's how I started, got acquainted with agriculture. We had lots of agronomists helping the farmers. Uh, then moved to Mexico in 2011, did two years in a coffee, soluble coffee plant. Then did uh, another three years or more in the former Soviet Union in Moscow to sell cocoa products. And then 2015 uh, or 14, actually, the, the war started and uh, Russia invaded Crimea. We came back to Europe. I did my MBA. And this was the emergence of, there was a, a kind of, um, there, there, there was, there was, um, how, sorry, how do you call it? There was demand for from investors to invest into kind of sustainable land management and agriculture. So you had different funds. You had the initiative of Danone with livelihood. You had uh, Clément Chenot with Moringa, who you interviewed. And uh, the UNCC was starting the uh, the land degradation neutrality fund. So basically, they had been given a mandate by one of the three uh, conventions, the United Nations Convention to combat desertification to basically um, launch and structure a fund that would invest into sustainable land management and revert the trend of land degradation. Land degradation. So these were really five interesting years. I became the investment director for Latin uh, America. Uh, we did some deals in, uh, in, in Nicaragua, in Peru, in Colombia, uh, did other deals in Bhutan as well, mostly tree crops. And this is where basically I think uh, a lot w w was learned. Um, the UNCCD provided us with a very robust uh, scientific uh, framework. And uh, basically you, you started having a, an interesting consensus between civil society, between uh, academia on how to kind of restore lands and between restoration, regeneration. Well, I, I think then let's not play on words, but it, it's, it's quite similar. So the, 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 this is how I came basically to, uh, to setting up green parts because after five years, we saw that there was maybe more, not enough deal flow, more money wanting to flow to Regen Ag than actual developers and with an operating background. And it's, it's especially a matter of, uh, of personal taste. I, felt more compelled to go back to operations than stay as a financier, which are financiers are useful people in the sense that they're the pump of the economy, but it depends on what you think you're best at or what you, maybe not not even what you're best at, but what you like most. And it was definitely uh, finding, uh, finding land, uh, uh, finding the right irrigation equipment, the right genetics. Uh, so, yeah, that, that, that's how well, I... You say something... Super interesting there on the developing side. You say there's more money that wants to flow than, than projects, um, investable projects to flow into. Um, and, and you happen to really like that development piece, which I think is a very under, um, under spotlighted role in the sector. I mean, we, we've seen it in, in renewable energies where the developers are, have been always the crucial piece to, to put all the different puzzle pieces together and then, then the money will flow. And of course, some people had to take early risk. And now 20 years later or 30 years later, whatever time frame you look at, like that sector exists, but in, in it seems to be almost in the regen ag and agroforestry space that the developer role hasn't really been filled yet. Um, and, and we see it sort of emerging. I see multiple people starting to take that role. And, and what, what really, because maybe for people to understand what, what is that role? I mean, you're saying from, figuring out uh, irrigation equipment down to the genetics and buying and figuring out the land. So describe that first uh, project in France that you, you've been on the way now. Like what, what is it like? Uh, let's make it as visual as possible because we are on an audio tour, obviously. And then let's unpack a bit what, what it takes to, to put something like that together and get it financed. 
because that's of course we we can make a great PowerPoint, but if we don't get it financed, nothing. No, then exactly. No fees will be in the ground. Maybe we will get back exactly. This is a very interesting point that uh, ag has never been structured like uh, renewable energy, where at some point twenty years ago you had project developers come come to financiers and say, "Look, I've put a data room together. I've got the permits. I know it will work. I've got the technology." And it's non-recourse project finance. I've got no money, but I want to stay as a majority shareholder. And please finance us with kind of long-term and patient capital to make sure that we go through the J-curve. And this is completely uh, something project finance, the rules could be applied to, um, to ag. So this is what we, we, we tried to, to do at, uh, at Lagrange, which is Green Pot's first project. We, we kind of, Actually, in the, the team that uh, has set up GreenPods, we all did a stint with the LDN fund. So GreenPods is a fully integrated Regen Ag farm developer specializing in tree nuts and servicing the growing demand for plant-based products, providing full traceability back to the farm. So the first farm, Lagrangia, uh, close to Toulouse, is France's largest organic almond orchard. And we got certified with the French Label by Carbon uh, in January with an estimated 4,500 tons. So that's, that's the farm. And the, the, the context was the following. So as you know, agriculture is a major cause of climate change with being responsible for roughly 25% of greenhouse gas emissions. We have 1.3 billion hectares available to feed the world population. We degrade 12 million hectares a year through deforestation, intensive monocropping and overgrazing. And if you look at France, in France alone, we import 4.5 million tons of soy every year. It's mostly GM uh, in the sense that it comes from uh, the Americas or South America. Um, and, and the same goes for almonds. Nothing to do with GM this time, but we have a consumption of 40,000 tons and we produce less than a thousand. So the, the system because it's work. not the ideal climate or because it's not possible or it's, it's possible. No, we, it just we, hasn't no, been we, at we, its we, scale. We, we, yeah, we, we did have a, a larger almond uh, production back in the days, but it's just that, you know, sometimes you, you shift and we've got a lot of land where it could go, which is allocated to different things. You're in the south of France, you see some uh, huge maize fields, and I don't think that's the most uh, appropriate uh, crop to, to plant in, in this area, in, in Provence. Uh, you've got some higher value added uh, crops. So the, the system won't work any longer. And, one, we must switch to more plant-based diets and eat more local to leave pressure on land. That's on the, uh, and, on and the, not the, grow the maize that is going to be fed to, to livestock. Yeah, exactly. Probably. And that's yeah. on <laughs> the, uh, that's on the, uh, demand side. And on the supply side, we must transition our agricultural production towards reg and ag, less pesticide and fertilizer use, less water use, more biodiversity and better farm incomes. This is, I think, the broader accepted definition that's been uh, already kind of carved into stone by uh, OP2B. OP2B. Uh, so, Lagrange... La I, I know people are listening. We, we haven't had them on the show. Like OP2B is the, the Biodiversity Alliance, if I have to. I'll put a link below uh, in, in the, the show notes um, of large... Uh, what is it? Basically, all the large food producers in the world around biodiversity. I think it was launched by the then CEO of Danone, uh, exactly, Faber. it was Emmanuel Faber, and they had put these videos together with uh, Patagonia. And I think, can we date maybe, at least in France, we always spoke about agroecology, so maybe the sustainable intensification of agricultural production. It was not a re really a fight, but at some point when you've got uh, a company like Patagonia and the kind of marketing uh, genius coming with a, a, a term uh, like Regen Ag and making it, you know, uh, making it spread, I think. Sexy, just, yeah. <laughs> Regen Ag has, has taken over and I think it's, uh, it's in terms of marketing, in, in terms of uh, message, it, it's efficient. So, and, and let's talk about the, the farm then as exactly. what is fundamentally different. Of course, I mean, let's, let's talk about the, the maize field it replaces. And um, of course, it's a very different view or a very different image. It's very different food and not feed, but also compared to a non-organic or a non, let's say organic regenerative uh, almond production. What, what are the for the for the the non uh, almond geeks? What are the differences we could recognize? Like, what would we see differently under your trees, with your trees, around your trees, compared to uh, a non organic one, where most of it probably comes from now imported to France? Yeah, I think it's um, the, it's important to discuss the the baseline as in a carbon product. So, two years ago during lockdown, we came across a farm for sale in Toulouse that had been producing conventional corn for thirty years. 
exporting it to Spain's pork industry. So this French corn was fed to pigs in fattening stations. Uh, these pigs were sent to slaughterhouses and then packed and basically shipped back to the French supermarket shelves. It's, it's a bit crazy, huh? Far from what you would think of, or as a, defi- uh, as a definition of sustainability. It was, uh, it's a bit of agroeconomic nonsense. Uh, and actually it, it gives the baseline of the project even in carbon terms. So we, we, we couldn't buy the farm. We, we managed to secure the farm through a 25 year lease and it was bought by an insurance company called La Maif in France that had a fund dedicated to basically helping young people settle, uh, on land. And they had identified the land purchase, uh, land purchase as really a barrier to entry. Um, Which it is. Yeah. Yeah, it is because we, we didn't have two million, uh, two million euros. So that, that's for sure. So basically we went from that really flat piece uh, of land that had been uh, basically uh, depleting the soil resources for 30 years and we converted it to first we entered in April 2021 and we started rotating crops again. We planted buckwheat, soy uh, and sunflower and then we had winter crops and we planted oats, spelt, winter wheat and others. So already you try to regain a bit of, uh, of life. And you did that to, to have these cash crops or you did it to build up soil life and to prep for the trees? No, we, we, we did it because first of all, we, it was not the purpose just to, to sit back. And of course, the, the, we, out of the 150 hectares, we plan to have, uh, 70 hectares of, uh, of almonds. So. The, it's, it's, I would call this farm more of a, of, of a, um, of a tree crop player. Yeah? That's what we concentrate on. That's what we know. And once you've gone, once you reduce your acreage to 70 hectares of, uh, annual crops, it's not really worth buying the equipment. So you're, you're, you're giving it to, um, to a service provider. Of course, then the, the margins get eaten. And first of all, on annual crops, if you don't kind of process yourself or integrate downstream operations, it's not extremely profitable. Right? The, the, the point is more to get it at break even. And as well, as you know, for Regen Ag certification, uh, rock certification, which we're aiming for, Regen organic certification, you need to rotate several crops. So, uh, of course, we are, we got that lease for 25 years, but one condition of the lease was you convert to organic at year one. So that's what we did. And once you've got 30 years of intensive monocropping and we came in late, so we planted in spring while we had to basically, we were competing with the, with the weeds and, uh, it's been very difficult. We, we, we lost money. We had to, uh, compete with Datura and Xantium, which are toxic. Uh, and our soy got contaminated and was declassed from, uh, some, 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 uh, some tons had to go for animal feed and were not fit for, human consumption. So the transition, it's true, has a cost because if you leave your, if you, if, if you kind of, uh, uh, uh treat chemically for 30 years, the, 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 the day you, you stop uh, applying chemicals, it's party time for your weeds. And if you, and we should have maybe planted, uh, winter crops before, because this year, for example, we planted, uh, wheat and you know, it's, uh, it doesn't germinate at the same time and there's been no competition. The, the wheat is, is perfect. So we're now in conversion takes three years in France. We call it C1, C2, C3. We're in C2, year C2. And next year we can start selling the, uh, organic, uh, basic. we can start selling our annual crops as organic to the, to the co-op. And so this is the, uh, annual crop, uh, part, but, on the 24th of February this year, we planted uh, the first 32 hectares of the orchard. Uh, we, as we've been working on this product for the past two years with basically a good friends, good Spanish friends, and you know them, it's Cristobal Aranega, who runs the nursery Crisara, who used to be the president of Alvelan for a couple of years. They came to the farm several times. We Just to, as a background, uh, I don't know them personally, but we've had common land and we've had a exactly. Spanish it's, project it's, a number of times on it. I will, I will link below some, some interviews. Yeah, exactly. So this is the, the, the man who runs the nursery, uh, which has provided many plants to the common land project. 
So they, they were quite interested to to try to to adapt uh, their almond trees, which grow in the kind of altiplano in Andalusia, and see how they adapt with the with the climate frontier moving north. Why, why did you take their genetics? Is that a risk taking genetics from such a different climate, or you're sort of um, calculating that you might be in a similar climate, or it was simply the best no, no, genetics we around we're in a similar climate? But so you're going to uh, be, or what, what? What was the reasoning going for for no, their genetics? They, they have many different uh, varieties, and ah, okay. you, you've, you've got blooming calendars produced by different uh, research centers in Spain. You've got uh, Irta in Catalonia. You've got Sebas in Murcia. And what we planted was, um, of course, late blooming varieties because as you've seen in the past two years in France, we had a terrible late frost. Uh, and we've taken varieties, we've planted varieties that bloom in, in April. And in April already in Toulouse, the, 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 uh, the frost risk is much more reduced than in this and then in March. So, and plus it's mitigated. They're, they're, they're much further south, but, uh, they're at a higher altitude and even Castilla-La Mancha this year. Castilla Mancha is right in the center of Spain, but uh, the altitude is much higher, 600 meters, and they, they, they suffered from late frost uh, this year as well. And so we're a couple of months in now. How, how is, I mean, it's difficult to say something, obviously, but how, how have the trees been? Uh, the, the, the trees have behaved quite well. We've got uh, a very high germination uh, rate. Um, few losses. We're still counting the losses and uh, the nursery. If, you, if if the nursery helps you plant, normally you have a contract with the nursery where they guarantee kind of 100 germination of the plants. I mean, what you call a première feuille, first leaf. Then if it gets eaten by animals, of course they won't replace them. <laughs> it's a different story. Um, um, so now they're, they're doing well. The the, the growth is good. Um, and we've planted, uh, we were lucky to, to have, uh, the, the, the maif help us with the, the structure of the project. They have s some passes were quite, uh, higher, had a high clay content and we've had to drain some of them. This was taken care of by the, the maif and, uh, we, we've started with the most suitable areas, which are in Spanish, say Franco Arenoso, which is quite, uh, the quite sandy soils because, uh, what there's one thing that almond trees hate is really, uh, being swimming in water, having the root system, uh, Wet, in, in yeah. water. So you get, uh, root asphyxia. So you want to make sure that water flows. And if you have drains, you're safe. So now the trees, you, what you do, you plant them. They, they come, uh, at, uh, they, they come at a height of one meter twenty. That's what's guaranteed. And then you, you kind of have your first kind of formation pruning. You prune them back to 90 centimeters. You put, you plant, uh, you plant them with a tutor. You put a protector against uh, rodents. Uh, and here you go. And, so and what kind of prep uh, have you done? Like, like what kind of? Soil prep. What, what did you do to make sure that you have the highest chance of of your long term long term there, success? There was a after thirty years of uh, intensive. I mean, I can cropping, imagine. Yeah, there was a a compactation soil eighty centimeters uh, below ground. So what you have to do is take uh, what we call in French le, le ripper. You have to plow. You have to go for a deep plow. And then kind of, so you have to, you have to start tilling. You, you, you till once, but big time. And then it's going to be uh, with cover crops. So at, at some point, uh, it won't be touched anymore. Well, you, you do that once. You kind of uh, break that uh, soil. So you let the root system go deeper. Uh, and then you, you have, uh, you kind of clean it. You, 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 you with, the, with your machinery. And then it's, it, it becomes your orchard. That's it. And, and what are the, the other, let's say, management practices you're putting in place? You mentioned uh, cover crops. Are you going to do any grazing? What's going to happen in between the lines? What, what How close no, are they? What, what's, grazing, what's, what are you looking we're, we're, at? We're not there yet because, frankly speaking, we're, we're in an area which is slightly more humid than the rest. So already uh, farming organically uh, in an area which is less dry will have, I think, a few more treatments to anticipate possible fungus or use mm -hmm. copper. You, you get to use what four kilos a, a year max per hectare. That's the rule in France. So we're not there yet. We've discussed that uh, we're going to, of course, uh, put some beehives three to four per hectare because although we have, uh, self, uh, pollinating or how you call them auto fertile, auto fertile mm -hmm. varieties, you, you do increase your yields by putting beehives. It makes it better. And I think there's only one, uh, 
species of sheep that doesn't eat your your trees. It's the Shropshire sheep, but uh, we won't test it this year. We'll have to wait a bit. You cannot do unless it's a demonstration plot. You cannot do everything. Uh, no, 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 no. But like long term, how would you would you like to see no, no, long term, the Orchard think, develop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Long term, we want to 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 keep it as a, a pure pure organic um, pure organic orchard. With basically, we we've planted lots of hedges because it was completely flat, and we got a grant from the Caisse de Depot to plant hedges and maybe one hectare as well of uh, kind of how could we call it a a climate adaptation uh, research orchard, a kind of pilot orchard to take some different varieties from, from Spain and kind of compare the um, flowering, blooming calendars with valleys that are further south and see how it evolves. But no, I think the reality is, is going to be uh, quite classic, uh, full full cover crops, which gives you the highest uh, score in carbon, hedges or what you call them, multifunctional hedges. So sometimes it's good for auxiliaries uh, um, and yeah, quite, quite simple. So on the, and we would like to farm some in between maybe lavender, but today it's, uh, you, we still have to, to control the, the old, the old weeds from, uh, from the previous user and and how did you structure it as as an investment or how did you structure because you didn't you didn't buy the land as you mentioned before but then i mean all this planting obviously comes comes at a cost so as as a developer like how how did you structure this and how easy or difficult was it to find uh, the money to 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 get it into the ground basically and it's 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 taken time and uh, i've always been um maybe back to what we saw uh, i i always thought that you in agriculture especially tree crops where there's a pretty long and deep j-curve you need to be disciplined and not pay yourself uh, in france we've got a system which is called macron démission en conversion so i resigned from uh, the un backed fund and had two years of a kind of reduced salary paid to launch my my venture and we raised uh, roughly 1 million in equity because, oh, it looks like it's a very good idea on paper that you have someone else uh, buy the land for you and lease it to you. But once you go see the bank, the bank has no collateral. <laughs> so they say, okay, it's good that you're starting and that someone has uh, bought the land for you, but what can you put as collateral uh, against that loan? So basically... CapEx is quite high eh? in tree crops. It's between 10 to 15,000 euros per hectare. So it, it quickly becomes a, a two, three million euro project. So one million equity. We just got one million in debt from uh, a syndicate of French banks made of Crédit Agricole and uh, Banque Populaire. But because they did not know almond uh, trees really well uh, it's more in Provence in Toulouse we are uh, we think we're, we're the newbies so they thought that the risk was too important so they they made sure that they could apply bank guarantees from the European Investment Fund from the European Investment Bank to basically uh, secure the uh, secure the, the loan so they've got 80% first loss it's called guarantee enough uh, in France um, it's a program so banks basically apply to the European Investment Fund and they apply guarantees on the back of the loans they disperse. And then. So they don't take any risk, basically. No. Very uh, little. Very little. No, because, um, Martin, my co-founder and I, we are, we are 20% second loss guarantors. So it's, uh, for them, it's, uh, it's, they, they finance innovation, um, but uh, they, they, they didn't want to uh, kind of take a, such a high risk. And they asked us, that's good for the carbon additionality, they, they asked us to basically uh, put the put the carbon, not as collateral, but they said that we needed to do the carbon project and kind of uh, submit our carbon um, application to the French uh, government to get certified. So we did and it. And that carbon certification actually, yeah, is, the, is the, crucial for, for, the, for the numbers. Is that... Is that Quite developed in France. No, no, no. We, we 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 have an estimated four thousand five hundred tons uh, of CO two emission reduction, uh, and at a price today, I think in France you can sell the label by carbon for roughly fifty euros a, a ton. So that's two hundred k, and so that's that's ten percent of your 
capex and opex until yeah. you, you reach your kind of cash flow positive so it's not even a cherry on the cake but it makes it look good and uh, it shows that we've made the effort to to submit we've been good schoolboys with the with the french ministry and how how do you see this develop like oh, i think if developers are listening like from the renewable energy space they will recognize if they've been around 30 years ago or 20 years ago like, but how do you see this going? Like, this was the first one, which is always the most difficult, not only from the agronomic perspective, but also from the finance perspective. How would you see a second or third of these projects? How would they ideally be financed or structured? Do you want to learn how to invest? Or are you an entrepreneur and want to build companies in the regenerative food and agriculture space? Or do you work in big ag and big food and want to really move the needle? we have developed a new video course for you. Find out more on investinginregenerativeagriculture.com slash course or in the show notes description below. I, I believe you need to take advantage of um, long-term debt when it exists and uh, of cheap debt. Well, it, this has been the market conditions for the past uh, few years. I've got no clue if this will, these conditions will prevail in the future. So that's the, that, that's the, the problem. But again, back to some, uh, some people you had on the podcast, I think you, you, you really need to talk to investors, uh, who have in mind that you need patient uh, capital. It's not for VCs who want to invest into NFTs or the metaverse. I mean, it's a, it's a different ballgame. Uh, especially with tree crops, annual crops, you, if you work well within two, three years, uh, you're in cruising speed. Tree crops, you, you, you get your first harvest, uh, in almonds and you're, um, you uh, you get a symbolic harvest at year three, four, five, five, six, you're in cruising speed, depending on your planting density. If it's, uh, walnuts, I think it's close to 10 years. Same with pistachios, hazelnuts, uh, it's maybe close to almonds. So you, you, you need, it's quite classic. You need a, um, I think the gearing ratios are roughly 50, 50. If you put one in equity, one in debt is, uh, is fine. And once, once it's in cruising speed, why not, uh, have more, more debt on the operation? But you have to be very conservative and especially, uh, have people not pay themselves too much at the beginning. I think that's, uh, it's it's a rule for every entrepreneur. You have to bootstrap your your company, but especially in agriculture, people you have to be you have to be stingy <laughs> to succeed. And so, you are. What does the next phase now look like? Apart from obviously managing this farm, making sure that as many trees make it as possible in in the best possible shape, the cover crops get on the arable one as well. You're looking at next projects. Well, what is what is next in terms of? Uh, the green pots uh, initiative because I'm imagining you didn't raise one million in equity for for one farm in Toulouse. Yeah, but this is at SPV uh, level. Yeah, maybe it's it was a bit too much, but at the beginning you have to. Um, that's that's how you you can convince your investors, especially you can convince your banks, especially if you don't have the if you don't have the um, the, the land to put it as collateral. Huh? So no, I think now the um, the idea is to to, to scale. Uh, not to scale, uh, uh, we're not planning to, 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 to build a unicorn. That's not the, uh, the idea. So but many people to... are going to stop listening now. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the, the idea is really to, to reach a certain scale. I cannot tell you how big uh, that scale is to, uh, to get some interest and to be able to have bargaining power with, uh, maybe mm, distributors or large retail players. So they listen to you because when, when you're small, even 70 hectares looks big in France for an almond orchard, but it's, it's gardening compared to, uh, what the Americans can do with a farm like a company like Pomona, which has got 40,000 hectares under management. Um, so I don't know. We, we'd like to maybe, uh, secure could be a lease. It could be, uh, could be a purchase. Mm, not the same structure then, of course, in financial terms, reach 500,000 hectares. And, uh, and plant it. And I think best is to have a portfolio. Uh, I like, um, yeah, nuts because they're non-perishable. So it reminds me of my years in coffee and cocoa. You can store them. I wouldn't be able to do, uh, yeah, fresh fruit because I think uh, it, it, there's a certain anxiety after 24 hours. You know, that you've only got 
24 more hours left before it runs. <laughs> so uh, I'll stay away from this business. It's for really uh, artists. Um, and yeah, a portfolio of farms. Um, the idea of Green Pods is to scale and build a portfolio of farms in Europe to basically uh, contribute to uh, food security. Um, food security um, substitutes our own production to imports. Uh, the, the statistics are crazy. If, if we enter that uh, discussion, I think France has doubled its uh, fruit and veg imports over the past 10 years. So it's, it's really... Uh, Insane. Uh, it's, it's, it's it's a lot. And and are you scared of? I mean, scared? Do you see climate change as a risk? As long term fruit trees, or in this case, the the um, tree nuts, and they take a while, and they it's not really easy to move or possible. So, what would you say, like, if investors are like, yeah, I mean, annuals, you can you can adjust quite quickly. In this case, you're you're sort of stuck for the next twenty years. Uh, how do you anticipate on, on the risk True. of climate change? <laughs> Toulouse just went through, I think, 40 degrees last week uh, for the first time ever. And um, so w what's what's your answer when somebody raises that question? Of course, we've had it uh, raised in more than one time. Um, I think you need to have a certain uh, water policy. You, you, you need to make sure that you, what you draw on the water reserves is sustainable in the sense that you should not dig wells you should uh, draw on to uh, basically surface waters, which are renewable. And today, this is the case with uh, the, 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 um, uh, the river basins of La Garonne or even the Ebro River in northern Spain. You've got ample precipitation on the Pyrenees. There's rain, there's snow, you have snow melts, then it gets back into the rivers. And basically, we, we get water from uh, Le Canal de Saint-Martory, which dates back to Napoleon III, because... You had overflows at, uh, during the meltdown from the Pyrenees in La Garonne. And this was made to divert that overflow and bring it to roughly 30,000 hectares that are being irrigated around the farm. So this is really important. That's why, I, of course, I, I wouldn't go today uh, to, to, to the south or some people are going to Morocco. I think that's quite a risky bet. I think it's, it's interesting to anticipate the climate frontier moving north. Uh, a bit. Don't plant almonds uh, in Scotland today, but there's certainly a, a trend. It's pretty hard to quantify. Um, and yeah, uh, I think your again, blue water withdrawal, and it's one of the criteria of the OPDB in the region act definition. In the US, they 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 use twelve thousand cubic meters of water to irrigate one hectare of almonds. Uh, we've only got. Uh, a, a, a limited, we, we've got a, we call it la dotation. We get, uh, we get an allowance of 6,000 cubic meters per year. So you can already see that between the, the French, um, approach and the American approach, you've got a difference, which is basically mandatory. It's just regulatory. We, 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 we see, half, yeah. yeah, we see water used in a different manner. And in France, you cannot build, uh, it's impossible to build a, a, a kind of water storage unit. You, you need to use what you get. And if there are water shortages, you can count on the head of region or, sorry, the préfet. Uh, so it's at department level to, to put on some restrictions. And this year in Spain, some farms which had water rights up to 8,000 cubic meters have been restricted down to 1,750 cubic meters around the, on the Guadalquivir river basins close to Sevilla. So. This is really it's coming. Yeah, yeah, it's real. And and for you, like the six thousand in your calculations, of course, it's difficult to know now. Is that more? Just to get an understanding, is that more than enough? Is that way too much? Like you can easily make it. It's nice if it's there, but you can easily make it with way less. Like, do you have that in in oh, this kind of system? Do you have that flexibility to to let's say it gets half? Are you in deep yeah, trouble? There's, or? A, there's a very good graph produced by the Catalonia Research Center with. Um, water use and yields when it comes to tree crops, it's, it's, the correlation is one to one. And the more water you use, the better the yield. But at some point, there's a bit of a plateau in the sense that at 6,000, uh, cubic meters, I think you've got the optimal, uh, irrigation. Okay. If, if you apply seven or eight, you're, you're going to be wasting a lot of water, but you're, you're not increasing the yield. It's, it's, it's just a marginal increase. So I think this is the right, uh, this is the, it's our sweet spot. 
can always discuss mm -hmm. it uh, maybe a, a bit less. And in case there's no more water one day, you have to think it. Uh, this is really the crash test. We've planted with uh, densities of uh, six by three, so that's roughly 550 trees per hectare. If things go wrong, you can always take out one tree out of two in the row. You get back into six by six, and six by six is very close to the classical uh, Andalusia Spanish density, which is kind of family farming with no irrigation whatsoever. Low yield, low input, low 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 input, low output, and that's what you get. So the I think you need to have a kind of uh, escape uh, escape scenario where you you get back to uh, non irrigated. Well, I hope not. Uh -huh. No, no, of course, but I mean, it's, it's been it's with, been asked, of course. Yeah, it's been asked, and and you need to 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 at least be ready and hope that it never happens. But uh, but, it's, but then uh, you really get into a, a low yield system. You can reach yields of one point five tons in organic, even higher uh, per hectare. But if you don't irrigate, your it's a tree that's kind of alternates from year to year, bumper crop then low crop. Um, and if, if you don't have, uh, irrigation, it, it gets, um, even, even, uh, harder. So you could, you could get yields down to 300 kilos, 400 kilos per hectare. So then you, you, you're not, you're not going to be touching it much. Huh? And then what are you yield? planning? Like in terms of, of yields, what are you modeling with? I, I, I think, uh, I think between a ton, uh, 1.5 tons, it's, it's very early to say, but you, you got people who, who manage this quite well. We can, I've seen Spaniards reach, uh, two tons per hectare in organic in six by three. And it's not, today you see a, a method called a super high density, uh, kind of production mode. They call it super intensive where, where it basically hedges. It's like, uh, mm -hmm. And they go over it with the machine, yeah, 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 and and you can just harvest with a with a with a machine. Well, this is a different model, and what we see that some people are already thinking that it might be a bit too extreme in the sense that your kind of yield curve goes down quite quickly. When you when you're farming traditionally, you can an orchard can last for forty years. I think it lasts for twenty five if you're doing semi intensive, but if you go super intensive. You might have a, a shorter lifespan for your orchard, which is, I mean, which is something that you can model in, like if it makes sense in that sense. And of course, it's extremely high input. We, we've had some discussions on here, and I've had some other discussions. Um, shout out to Dimitri of the Region Agroforestry Podcast on, like, I think what would be very interesting as well is to test that. How can you make that as? I wouldn't even say regenerative because that sort of suggests that it's a thing. But how how can you apply as many as some of the world is moving to high intensive, like what would that look like if you take uh, extreme biodiversity measures, soil health, etc.? Like, would that be possible? And yes, maybe the the the, the hedges only last ten years or fifteen years, but you can you can model that in. Like, would that even be possible to do it um, without all the chemical input that it currently needs and all the water it currently needs? And what would that look like? And I don't know. I don't think I don't know if anybody did it yet. Uh, there are people trying. There are trials in super intensive. Inorganic and without irrigation, uh, and I think it's. Uh, let's see, but I, I, from what I understand and from what I've seen in all the orchards I have visited, I've, I've driven seven, several thousand kilometers between France and Spain. The super intensive model works well under steroids, but if you if you switch it to organic, uh, it gets confused and you, you don't get much uh, because you've got all these Porta um, Injerto, you've got all these. Uh, rootstocks which are called nanizante they're dwarfing rootstocks mm -hmm. uh and they, they they need to be pumped up so the tree grows so you need the root you need a bigger root system to uh, to theoretically make that work and then what what is so it no, when you're farming organically you have less yeah. choices with uh yeah. with fertilization with uh yeah. so you need more vigorous rootstocks on which you graft uh whatever variety you you want but today you've got two main rootstocks in, in almonds which are the uh, GF677, uh, which is a prunus and, uh, another garnem when you have a bit more fungus in your soil. But the, 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 the rootstocks for, for superintensive are totally different. This is much more the, from what I understand, it's much more about being the apprentice sorcerer 
than uh, the classic uh, rootstocks you have that are just being multiplied in every nursery that you can find. And and the high intensive guys and girls are saying, yeah, we we need to do this because um, because of labor shortages. We need to automate automate. We need to be able to drive over it with a with a machine and harvest and and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Is that like how is that a thing in the almonds? I know it's a thing in the in the olive space, or some people call it a thing. Is the labor shortages are is that something you uh, you're planning with? Is that an issue in the organic almond industry in in France or not at all? It's true that you need to mechanize in order to be competitive, because in Northern Europe we are not the the cheapest. Uh, our friends in the south uh, sometimes are cheaper, so yes, you, you you need that's that's a constraint, and there is as well a constraint of scale or size. Is that uh, tree crop machinery works well if you want to make sure that you you, you pay it back. You, you working with fifty hectare blocks uh, economically makes sense. If you've only got 20, it's going to be hard to invest into all the machinery because if you need to have a, a tractor that costs you 90,000 euros, you need a sprayer, then you need the, a harvesting machine. You can always adapt and kind of do it the, the Soviet way, as we call it, but uh, no, it's, you, you need a certain scale. You need scale. Yeah. You, 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 you need parcels that are not, not too small because if, uh, if your tractor guy has to uh, turn every 30 meters uh, you just go crazy plus you know you have to leave uh, eight meters on the sides to make sure that you have a, a comfortable space for a u-turn so y- your parcels need to to be of a certain size and of course a, a square is better than uh, some kind of a crazy artistic parcel which many places are and uh, unfortunately yeah. totally yeah and so how do you see that what do, what do you see in, in the future of mechanization is it going to be lighter and smaller and and you don't need eight meters anymore to turn they're going to be i mean everybody's talking about autonomous robotics etc do you see anything yet in the nuts tree space or is that all a pipe dream well what you see uh is crazy i've seen some israeli startups that can uh, harvest your your apples with drones there they, they just I've seen it too. and come and suck up your your, your apple uh this is quite crazy. I don't know at what cost it comes, but uh, no, if there's one thing I would dream of is, of course, uh, electric trackers, tractors. I think they're, they're still not, the technology is still not there yet, or maybe it's just too expensive because uh, that, that's, that's, uh, they're if coming, you do they're your, coming. if you do shout your, shout out to Michael Herzer. I will put one uh, link. He, he has to come on the show soon. Uh, he's yeah, building uh, in the current calculation the, the the 190 liters or 200 liters of diesel per hectare that you burn every year they, they you can feel them in the carbon calculation you would be much much better off with a with an electric tractor that's one thing we have used uh, a we've had some trials with agriculture um which is a toulouse-based startup uh and they have robots to basically mow in between rows we did a demo uh, at the farm the other day Still not enough autonomy, same thing when it comes to electrics, so they have a hybrid engine. Uh, but looking very good, and it's true that someone working, there's so much work to do uh, on a farm that just going back and forth to do the, the mowing and the mulching of the, 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 the weeds that grow crazy every two weeks. I mean, if we can send rockets to space, I, I really hope that we can have uh, automated lawnmowers that have the farmer or the farm manager sleep in the morning with the or do something else because you've got you've got your irrigation you've got you've always got a pump that goes wrong uh, the day the day we had the heat in Toulouse of course uh, the SD card of the of the of the pumps went wrong uh, so you always get things to to fix so spending time uh, driving back CO2, and forth more or less yeah, the same, shooting CO2 a diesel the, tractor yeah. shooting CO2 in the sky while you're Trying to capture CO2 with your tree crops, that, that's, that's something I really hope we can get out of in the next five or 10 years. Plus, the, the silence is good. You, you do get some for permaculture or horticulture. You, do, you get very nice French tractors called the Sabi Agri. They look like the lunar rover. Fantastic. But they'll talk about Yeah, and Nayo, and they're, they're some, they're, they're definitely coming. Um, but yeah, the silence would be, would be nice as well, actually, in the countryside. No, yeah. You might hear the, you might hear the birds and the, and, and the insects. Yeah, exactly. So 
No, not today. I think we're trying to be at the edge of technology. We're not a we're not a tech company. We're trying to just speak to the to the best and and say, look, if if you want to try your solution, please come to the farm. So, Genesis Soil Health has done the baseline of the of our soils. So they've got different uh, they've got different marks. They they they've got different different criteria they look at. So you've got uh, you've got your soil organic carbon, of course. You've got bacteria diversity. You've got oxygen availability, zinc uh, contamination, uh, chrome, cadmium, anything. So and the baseline is quite bad. So we hope that with all the prunings of the trees that we'll do. Uh, by not tilling, uh, we hope that, no, we don't hope. We're pretty sure that the, the, we'll do much better than the baseline because we, we started really low. And you already mentioned one thing that might, that might not be the, the, the crucial one. Uh, if you had a magic wand and you could change one thing overnight, so you had one wish that could go, that would change in, in food and agriculture, what would that be? It could be anything from, carbon tax to better taste to stop crazy imports to electric tractors and um, but you only can choose one thing what would that be oh well it's, it's a hard question um i i, I would um i would uh, ask people to reallocate some of their disposable income to to food i am not a communist my family left the soviet union but i i i i think that People have forgotten that you've got lots of different ecosystem services uh, provided by agriculture between water regulation, uh, air regulation, CO2 capture. That I can't remember these these statistics. I don't have them. They're quite famous that in the 50s, maybe uh, the, the, the share of disposable income that a household would put in its food was 30%. And now it's maybe less than 10 because most of it is uh, real estate or other things. And and. Food has got much more value in it than just um, feeding people. That's uh, well, we've tried and in France. You've got the loi Galim. Uh, you, we've tried to protect farmers to have some kind of cost-based, cost-plus-based uh, formula, so people are not allowed or retailers are allowed to buy at a price lower than the kind of production cost of the farmer. But I think this is one um, because the economy is crazy. You've got bubbles uh, on. Uh, on the internet, on uh, on NFT, on marketplaces, and I still think, as uh, everybody says, it uh, you, you need to see a farmer three times a day to um, to feed yourself. So it is a socially important uh, job that has to be valued. So I, I think um, I would I would campaign for 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 giving more revenues to all people who farm because today I think it's in a modern country. In a, sorry, in a uh, in a developed economy, it's two percent of um, of GDP. Agriculture, primary production, huh? not agribusiness, and what co- goes with it. No, that that's where the, the real money is. But the the the, the direct yeah, exactly. money going P- to far, farms is, and land is nothing. Yeah. In primary production, uh, primary Keeps production is not financed enough in the sense that uh, uh, for a continent like Africa, I think maybe forty percent of the population is still rural, a bit less. 25% of GDP or 30% of GDP comes from agriculture and you've got less than 5% uh, exposure to ag in banks portfolio. So this is where the money needs to flow. It's primary production. Uh, I think it's socially important. Uh, that's what the UN have uh, told me. The, I, I didn't invent the statistics and it's, it, it's vital and it's, uh, it's useful. And we, we see with, what, with, with what's happening today uh, in Ukraine. And so what would you tell, let's say we're in a, in a theater full of, uh, of, of quote unquote smart investors, uh, both investing their own money, working in the finance sector. I mean, you've met many of these in, in the past. Uh, what would you leave them with? We're on stage where we're hosting an evening and we're doing this in person, which I hope will happen at some point. And um, what would you leave them with as, as a message? Obviously not giving investment advice, but what, what would you like them to do or where to start looking and hopefully investing and putting money to work when they, once they leave that theater? Uh, di- 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 divest from sectors which uh, are not helping the planet for, for one thing that's where you've already got a, a, a EU taxonomy I think that they'll be under higher pressure you've got some champions you've got some very good uh, impact uh, investors you've got some good ESG investors I still I wouldn't be able to quantify what their share of the market or of asset management is I would guess still quite small and 
very biased again because I've worked in uh, agriculture all my life. But it's in this sector, invest money in this sector, and especially in primary production because that's where it's needed. Uh, maybe stop thinking of uh, double or not triple digit returns. That's but don't expect paybacks in two years with super high yield because that that's actually uh, not the case. Although you, you can make good money, but don't. Yeah, just to be clear, like you're you're not in this for for charity. You're predicting and hopefully realizing you can make, you can good make returns. Very good money, uh, and that's maybe not very European. But uh, orchards are being traded by uh, North American funds, uh, and they're very happy with their their returns. Huh? And so, what would you do if you are in charge of, a, let's say, a, a one billion euro investment fund tomorrow morning? What would you? allocated to or not not down to the euro but what what would you focus on would it be all nut tree crops would it be some 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 percentage of experimental things some technology and what would you if you had the longest time horizon possible what would you prioritize if you had to put one billion euros to work first i would i would choose a geography that i love which is central asia you've got uzbekistan you've got tajikistan you've got plenty of water in the himalayas two huge rivers flowing which called which are called the amudaria and sirdaria and with one billion fifty thousand uh, euro capex i think you could do what i'm missing this years 200 000 or 20 000 hectares or you could do a lot and i would do I would do orchards because back in the days it was uh, an intensive uh, cotton monoculture that uh, has ruined the RLC. That's that's my first um, impression. So buy land I, and build orchards. Yeah. Well, you don't no need to buy land. Long term land can stay with the government. I'm, I'm completely agnostic. I think land sometimes can be totally separated from the operating company. Uh, I think it's uh, unless you have to talk to a bank. Yeah. <laughs> But you don't have exactly. to do it. In this so case, you don't have to do where's that. Where's your collateral? Um, but <laughs> in this then, case, no, you don't need them. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. And of course, uh, we discussed investors. Back to your previous question. Uh, the, the layered fund structures that some funds have is very, is very clever because if the public sector cannot subsidize everything, sometimes when they put uh, five or ten percent at the bottom of a cash flow waterfall and they, and, and they are junior to all the rest of the investors, the investors are very happy to go into a new asset class, which they would not dare enter on their own. So that's what big investors can do, like the EIB or the World Bank. So this is, a, and especially for a, a a region like Central Asia, where it's still perceived as very risky, and it's much less risky than it was at the fall of the Soviet Union. So it, it, it's interesting. And again, tree crops, not, not not because it's green pots, just because I've worked in this space for for, for many years, even before. And we have forgotten, we always insist uh, in France on horticulture and permaculture, but tree crops, we've, we, we, we've lost some acreage as well. I think it was maybe two and a half or three percent of our, of our agricultural surface. We've lost, I think, one percentage point on this. And re relegating these crops to Europe, uh, they capture carbon. Uh, it's pretty easy to follow good practice you, because you, very quickly you will, you will stop tilling. You will, make your soil better you will bring back biodiversity because there's much more biodiversity in an orchard uh than in a basically in a cornfield and you contribute to the much needed shift towards plant-based diets instead of having uh basically a soy feeding animals that are then feed, fed to us or so corn shipped to Spain to fed yeah, or, yeah or ship, back ship, to ship France, our corn yeah. to Spain so they ship back pork to us uh, not, nothing against uh, pig farmers, uh, but maybe in the future we won't be able to, to to keep doing this. And and what would you tell? I hear a lot of people, or a lot of people, reach out uh, to like, okay, I want to. I don't have a farming background, or I do, and I have some experience now, and and I want to get active in this space. It's very difficult to give career advice, obviously, but what would you tell them? Like, focus on tree crops, um, focus on the project development. What what do you think? Feel as the sort of missing piece um, out there that, that's really missing in, in the region X space? I would say that practice is, is important. Uh, before you launch yourself into a project or it's tempting to, to leave your full-time job, it's always good to, um, to experiment uh, and to do it. If you have some savings, just plant a hectare or two with a friend. That's how we started with Martin. We tried to plant pistachios at his uh, uncle's farm. 
for some reasons, we decided to do something else. But um, it, it's important to, to to give it a, a proper try. You might not like it. So you might love it. Uh, you might very, very become very good at it. So, and this was actually the point of uh, I had uh, with Martin when we started. Many people were coming with concept notes with no background in farming. And as an investor, of course, that, that's, a, that's a red flag, immediate red flag. Say, oh, okay, that's, uh, that's too ambitious. No track record. That's the first reaction of every investor. So if you develop, albeit small, a pilot and that you can show a pilot that is clean, then replicating, uh, okay, it's a uh, changing, uh, the scale of the business can change the, 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 the nature. But I think it's a very good start. And le- 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 leasing a hectare of land somewhere with a with with, with some friends, uh, you can do it. I think it's a it's a great advice, and I might add this question to uh, as a regular question because it's uh, it's something to. I think we need more energy, more people. We need more people on the land for sure. We need more people connected to the land, and and through agriculture, that's that's one of the best ways to do that. I want to be conscious of your time, and and thank you so much for sharing. Uh, I would say early in the journey of green pots, but obviously not early in your journey into into tree crops, into agriculture, into finance. And I'm looking forward to to check in um, how it's been developing and, and where the next farms will be and how you're going to grow to 500 to 1,000 hectares, uh, etc. And, and of course, grow a lot of uh, tree nuts in the in the process. Sure. No, thank you very much for having me, um, and look forward to to being in touch and uh, speak soon. Then. Thank you so much for listening all the way till the end. For the show notes and links discussed, check out our website, investinginregenerativeagriculture.com forward slash post. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. For the show notes and links we discussed in this episode, check out our website, investinginregenerativeagriculture.com forward slash posts. If you like this episode, why not share it with a friend or give us a rating on Apple Podcasts? That really helps. Thanks again and see you next time.